This is the Victory Podcast. Every week, we'll share an inspiring message about God's grace and forgiveness for you, wherever you're at in life. Your victory starts now. Good evening, my friends. The scripture for our message tonight is Mark chapter 10, verses 17 through 31. We're going to be reading that during the course of the message. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, on this Ash Wednesday, you deliver to us a difficult message, the message that we are and always will be just dust and ashes, mortal sinners. But you also deliver to us that amazing message that we are redeemed sinners. Lord, help us to hear both of these messages from you with humility and with great joy. We ask in your name, amen. I have to confess, when I hear the first message of Jesus' ministry, the time has come, the kingdom of God has come near, repent. And then when I read one of the greatest writings of the namesake of our church, Martin Luther, and he writes, when our Lord and Master Jesus Christ said, repent, He willed that the entire life of believers be one of repentance. And then, when you and I come to this first day of the season of preparation to see our Savior's suffering and also victory, and we hear it's called Ash Wednesday to remind us that we are just dust and ashes, there's something inside of me and perhaps inside of you that kind of wants to cry out and say, God, can't you get over this repentance business? Do you just want a bunch of people, masochists who are constantly beating themselves up? Can't we just move on to something better? And I have to confess, whenever I feel that way, I realize I'm thinking like my mother who used to hesitate to go to the doctor with this logic. She'd say, every time I go there, he just finds something else wrong. She was forgetting exactly what you and I so often forget about repentance. That there is a diagnosis and a cure. And that repentance literally means to change your mind. In repentance, we change our mind about ourselves and we change our mind about our God, our Savior. And as both diagnosis and cure are both necessary, it's the very same thing with repentance. And one of the most beautiful accounts in all of the scriptures, one of the most thoughtful accounts in all of the scriptures about repentance is the account of the interchange between Jesus and a very religious young man. It's so significant that not one, but three of the gospel writers all record this same event. And as we hear it, right from the beginning, you can sense the searching and the tension. As Jesus started on his way, a man ran up to him and fell on his knees before him. Good teacher, he asked, 
What must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good? Jesus answered. No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony. You shall not defraud. Honor your father and mother. Teacher, he declared, all these I have kept since I was a boy. Now, when we put together what Matthew, Mark, and Luke tell us about this man, he was pretty amazing. We learn he was young, he was already wealthy, and already a leader in his community or his synagogue. Then add to that, he was really pious. He was extremely religious. He was probably somebody I'd like to have living next door. Maybe somebody I would like to have been. But he was confused and searching. You can hear it in his question. He knew that eternal life is something that's a gift, something you inherit. And yet, he asked Jesus, what must I do to earn this thing that can't be earned? He thought it had to do with his doing, with his goodness. And this was going to bring him the biggest shock and the biggest disappointment. Jesus told him, no one is good except God alone. God alone is perfectly good, and he's the one who sets the standard for what is perfectly good. Contrast that with how I think. Just like this young man, I'd like to say to myself, well, I'm certainly better than most. Look at all the sins I'm avoiding. I'm faithful to my wife. I don't steal. I don't murder. I, I hear about all those unsavory characters on the news every night. But you realize what I'm violating there. That, that old rule that our mothers taught us, as soon as you point at somebody else one finger, you got three fingers pointing right back at you. Or someone has said it even more sophisticatedly. They said, you realize how often that we reckon the sins we don't commit as more serious and damnable than the ones we actually do commit? And finally, God is the judge. And God is the one who knows and condemns not just my sinful actions, but my sinful words, my sinful attitudes, my sinful priorities. And then, his perfect goodness includes every good thing we could be doing out of love for him and love for our neighbors. So recall how Jesus summarized God's law. He said, love God above all things and love your neighbor absolutely selflessly as yourself. Then we read, Jesus looked at him and loved him. And so he said, one thing you lack, go sell everything you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. Doesn't that make you scratch your head a little bit? Is Jesus telling us that if we sell all we have and give to the poor, that's going to get us into heaven? 
Is he demanding that we have to do that? No, Jesus said it because he loved this man. And he knew he was facing a great temptation. He wanted to give him a little poke lovingly, just as he gives us a little poke lovingly to ask ourselves, what do I love more? God and my neighbor or just myself? If I don't see my Savior as my greatest security, as the one who loves me most of all, if I let my personal accomplishments trump that, my piety, my successes, my family, my friends, my money, then I failed. And I am not good. And if I'm not willing to risk my time or my energy or my money to help my neighbors who are in need, again, I failed. I'm not good. Repentance is that difficult change of mind and change of heart about yourself, about myself. And it's just as necessary as a diagnosis is to find the cure. We read, at this, the man's face fell. He went away very sad because he had great wealth. Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. The disciples were amazed at his words. But Jesus said again, children, how hard it is to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. Jesus' words left the man dejected. And, and they kind of leave us cringing, don't they? But realize, his little phrase about camel and eye of the needle it's just a turn of phrase like we'd use for impossibility. Like we say you can't get blood from a turnip. Earthly riches will not get you into heaven. And trusting earthly successes, earthly riches, earthly achievements, instead of God, may actually exclude you from heaven. And with this, Jesus' disciples are just completely blown away. They're absolutely perplexed. They can't figure this out. This successful, religious young man seemed to have it absolutely all together. They said to each other, who then can be saved? And Jesus answered, with man this is impossible, but not with God. All things are possible with God. And we know how God made the impossible possible, right? So that sinners like you and me, who are constantly tempted to trust in our own achievements, our own possessions, our own goodness, so we can enter the heaven which God has for us, Paul told the Corinthian Christians, you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, 
that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you, through his poverty, might become rich. Jesus' love for God and his love for us was so perfect that he walked away from the riches and glory of heaven. We can't even comprehend what that would be. We can comprehend riches on earth. This must be absolutely incomprehensible. He walked away from it. Or when he faced off with Satan. And Satan falsely offered him all the glamour and all of the attention and all of the riches of all of the kingdoms of this earth. And Jesus said, no. During his ministry, he owned only the cloak on his back and the sandals on his feet. And Jesus' perfect selflessness, his perfect generosity, his love for the Lord, his love for his fellow human beings, all of that was credited to me and to you. And for people like me and like you, who are constantly overestimating our own achievements, our own goodness, and then looking down on others as a result and trying to stand on our own before God, we read, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Now, none of that happened to him because he wasn't the true son of God. It all happened to him because he was feeling the punishment of God that you and I should have been feeling for constantly walking through life thinking God should congratulate us for our own goodness. And our estimation of our own goodness is so often flawed, but Jesus is perfect. And so Jesus died like a criminal, carrying not his punishment but ours, so that you and I are now perfectly good in God's eyes. All of that, Jesus says, is about changing our minds, about ourselves and about our Savior. Jesus loves you so much that he made the impossible possible. He gave the perfect cure. And then finally, at the end of this account, Jesus sort of puts the icing on the cake. It's so fascinating that, that his disciples still can't get over this idea that, that this man who seemed to have everything together couldn't get into heaven. And we're told Peter spoke up and said, well, we've left everything to follow you. Truly, I tell you, Jesus replied, no one who has left home or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or fields for me and the gospel will fail to receive a hundred times as much in this present age. Homes, brothers, sisters, mothers, children, and fields, 
along with persecutions, and in the age to come eternal life. Jesus says this change of mind and change of heart is absolutely life-changing. When you are living for him, he has it all covered. There's nothing that will fail you, he promises. Repentance is that necessary and that life-changing. And there's one more little bit of evidence in this text of that great truth. And it's absolutely fascinating to notice it. Many people believe that this successful religious young man who came to Jesus was actually the gospel writer Mark. Because Mark is the only one who adds that very, very personal detail that Jesus looked at him and loved him. When he was confused, when he was searching like that, Jesus didn't drive him away. Instead, Jesus turned him to see the truth in love. Mark saw that loving look and learned in his life the blessing of repentance, the blessing of changing our minds about ourselves and about our Savior. And realize Jesus is looking at you and looking at me with that very same love, saying, change your mind about yourself. Change your mind about me. That's what repentance is. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Victory Podcast, brought to you by Victory of the Lamb in Franklin, Wisconsin. For video sermon archives, more information about us, and to let us know how we can meet you where you're at, go to victoryofthelamb.com.